if people don't have the capital to do it themselves, that's typically what they'll start with. This is The Playbook. Have I have a special guest for you. Avery Carl is in the house, CEO and founder of The Short Term Shop. And she's also an author of something that I think is going to be very pertinent here, as I believe we're in a recession. That's short-term rentals and long-term wealth, something I subscribe to. Uh, she also has a great podcast called The Short-Term Show that we'll talk about. Welcome to the podcast, Avery. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So look, the hottest thing to me is short-term rentals. And the reason I think that it's such an important thing to talk about, uh, such an important thing to know about, is that unlike other uh, traditional real estate opportunities, it varies by region and by opportunity, no matter what the interest rates are, what the prices are, there's still huge opportunity in the short-term rental market because a lot of areas in America haven't taken advantage of it, and yet there is a shortage of short-term places to stay in certain areas in America, regardless of the price of the property or the payment on the property, there's huge opportunity. I call it margins of millionaires. How did you first get exposed to uh, this short-term strategy and how it applies to long-term wealth? So for me, I started with one long-term rental and I started on a $37,000 a year salary. So I did not have much money at all. And uh, that first long-term cash flowed really well for a long-term. It was a thousand bucks over the mortgage every month. And my husband and I said, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like, we just planned to buy one and hope that it would provide you know, some retirement opportunities when we got older that we could sell it and it would have appreciated. But we're like, man, this is cash flow. This is great. We need to buy another one of these things. And we just had a little bit of money left. And so we thought, well, what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money the fastest so that we can go buy more real estate with that money? And we landed on short-term rentals. And this was back in 2015. And we didn't want to buy in Nashville where we were living at the time because Nashville has terrible regulations. So we thought, well, where can we buy something that it's the normal thing for people to rent a property, like a privately owned property, condo, beach house, cabin, overnight rather than a hotel. And we'd just been on vacation to the Smoky Mountains. So we said, oh, everybody goes to the, to the Smokies and rents a cabin. Somebody owns these. Why can't it be us? So we bought one, like we were scraping the pennies out of the bottom of my purse to make that down payment. And it did really well. We kind of figured it out as we went, self-managed. Um, it's a much different game in the short-term rental space than long-term in terms of property managers. Uh, we scaled one to five properties in the Smokies over the course of about a year. And five and a half years later, we have a $30 million real estate portfolio of 205 doors. Um, eight of them are short term. So our strategy is using the short terms as like a cash flow turbocharger to be able to grow our portfolio. So in our case, we have a lot of single family long terms. We also have uh, multifamily. So we've grown a pretty diverse portfolio, but by starting with short term, we were able to do that much more quickly. And I think a lot of people are intimidated by financing and qualifying for that many properties. And, you know, I have uh, had had 32 homes in San Diego alone. I've been in this game a long time and it's changed across the years. Uh, do you help people understand how with pennies in your pocket, you're able to leverage 
you know, five properties in your first year, be able to then continue on to have such a huge portfolio. Uh, and when it seems to me as if your uh, salary or your income never exceeded, you know, six figures, let alone seven figures in order to effectuate accumulating all these properties. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of strategies that, that you can use. Uh, so I started my company, the short-term shop kind of for this reason. Cause when we bought, I think we were on our second short-term rental. We kind of realized there weren't really any agents in the space who could even answer our most basic questions. Like how do I find a cleaner? How much should this property make? So I got my license, bridged that gap and became that agent started in the Smoky Mountains and then started the short-term shop. And we now have offices in 13 different of the best vacation rental markets in the country. And we teach our clients. So if you buy a property with us, we teach you everything you need to know about managing it. And we also kind of teach you the strategy stuff. We also have a mortgage arm to help with that kind of thing too. We teach all of our clients for free if they buy with us how to do all this stuff. But uh, I recommend conventional financing to start off because it's always going to have the best interest rates. It's typically the easiest to get. And then if you get to a point where you're limited by your DTI, um, DSCR loans are a really great way to go, which for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, DSCR loans qualify you based on what the property will make rather than your own income and debt ratio. So you just have to show that the property is going to make the same amount as the mortgage payment every month, which of course it is, or else you wouldn't be buying it because it would be a good investment. And then you can get the loan that way and you can get unlimited. And then there's also uh, strategic partnerships as well. And, you know, beyond that, picking the best markets you had mentioned, there's, you guys work in the 13 best markets. How did you determine, because I think this is important during the recession, uh, to determine markets. I always talk about markets, market makers and margins. All three are pertinent within both long and short-term rental properties or income properties. But picking the right market has been one of the keys to our success. My wife and I, who manages all of ours through some things that she's learned on your podcast, by the way. Um, but more awesome. importantly, yeah, you know, I think people get confused uh, on those markets. What are some of the criteria to pick the best markets for the short-term rental investor? So I like to be very careful and say that my way is not the right and only way. Uh, there are a zillion ways to make money in real estate and in short-term rental. So, but for me, I don't like to reinvent the wheel. I like to just optimize the wheel that was already there. So I stick to regional, drivable, mature, mature being the keyword, vacation rental markets. So these are places where the majority of the tourism coming in, these are vacation destinations, the majority of them are driving and the majority of them are staying in vacation rentals. And it's always been that way. So for example, I live in Destin, Florida now. We've had vacation rentals in Destin since before there was electricity in Destin. So I'm choosing markets that have very little hotel presence. The short-term rentals are really the only form of accommodations for that tourism. And then I'm choosing areas where the tourism has been there for decades and decades. So these areas have seen the recessions, they've seen the good times, they've seen the natural disasters and there's still millions of tourists coming year over year. So these are areas that I feel very comfortable that, you know, whether it's, a financial downturn where people don't have a lot of extra money. So, you know, maybe they're not taking that Aspen trip this year or flying to Mexico to the beach, but they can drive to Panama City or drive to the Outer Banks or um, drive to the Smoky Mountains and do 
a less expensive trip, but still being able to have fun with their family. Um, and then of course, you know, the historic tourism and the ability of these markets to have overcome a lot of obstacles over the past several decades. That's, that's what I stick to. And one of the strategies that I stick to over, I've been doing this for a long time, but I don't sell properties anymore. You know, my, my strategy is, and because of the situation I'm in, this isn't right for everyone, but I pour my income back into the properties until I own them. And then I refinance them tax-free because I find that that there is the key to wealth is asset-based lending, tax-free lending, especially living in California where it's 52% taxes. You can create your own margins simply by not having to pay taxes. Um, but a lot of people do flip properties, short-term properties, long-term properties. What are some of the strategies, not even necessarily yours or mine, but some of the options that people have when they're buying these types of properties, one would be, you know, like me, hold, refinance tax-free, but you also list properties and have other strategies. What are some of the strategies uh, that you have uh, or are aware of that help people? Well, especially I'm a holder to myself, um, but I've seen, I've seen it all with uh, all of our clients have different strategies. And a big one that people have done over the past few years is not necessarily like a burr, but finding a property that needs a little work, like maybe there is an extra space that can turn into another bedroom and force that equity up and then pulling some of that equity out and going and buying more things. And short term, at least in the markets I'm in, it's people really want to like push the the burr strategy and the rehab, and that's fine. But in the markets that we're in, it's just really easy to just buy something that's almost turnkey and just run with it. You don't have to overcomplicate it, which I really like. Uh, so we see a lot of partnerships. Um, the main one that the main structure that most people do is they'll have a money guy and a sweat equity guy and the money person will get the loan in their name and the sweat equity person will typically do all the management because there are more management tasks involved with short term than a, a long term. So the sweat equity person will do all the management. They'll split everything 50-50. We did that on two of our first five and it worked really, really well. So that's typically if people don't have the capital to do it themselves, that's typically what they'll start with. And what's the biggest mistake that you see people making? Because it seems you know, I tell people all the time, I know it seems easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, there are mistakes and dummy tax that has to be paid. I myself lost over $100 million in real estate doing this stuff in 2008. Uh, obviously learned the lessons and have built something that will last through this next recession. But what do you see as the biggest mistake that people make? Not being adaptable uh, and not having you're not going to be successful in real estate at all, but especially in short-term rental without the ability to roll with the punches, like something's going to go wrong at some point, you're going to have to get up from dinner and call a handyman, something like that. A big one that I see recently is uh, brand new people whose listings are brand new, who are pricing them at the same price as comparable listings that have, you know, a hundred plus reviews and then being unwilling to lower that price. Like you've got to have a lower price than everybody when you first start to get that review base built. And then you can move up to that higher price as the person who has a hundred reviews. So just too much rigidity is going to keep you from being successful. 
yeah, it's been our experience too in the short-term market by providing value. The easiest and most successful short-term rentals are the people that come every year. So they, August 2nd, they came and, oh, we should do this next year and they'll leave and rebook immediately. Uh, and, you know, those numbers aggregate over the years where pretty soon you're pre-booked for so long just from the previous renters that you're not so worried about new renters anymore because the previous renters are renting and they're telling their friends, hey, when you go to Destin, make sure you stay here. It's incredible. Uh, what are some of the easy things to do uh, for those short-term renters that uh, distinguish yourself? Uh, are there little tricks that you have uh, by leaving gifts or notes? Or what are some of the things that you can do to have that great first impression so that people's mindsets are not into, oh my God, this place sucks. And then all you get is complaints the whole two or three days they're there. Uh, definitely having nice decor. So one of the pitfalls of a lot of the markets that we're in is that they've been vacation markets for so long and these vacation rentals have changed hands and they've never been updated. So, you know, it, a lot of them, even a lot of the top performers out there are dated, you know, they still have the like khaki colored granite from 15 years ago and things like that. So, you know, doing some of the easy things like replacing countertops is not that difficult or expensive and making sure that you have, you know, not, you can get nice looking, but cheap art anywhere on the internet, you know, just making sure that your place is nice and updated and doesn't feel like, you know, the same place you stayed with your parents 20 years ago. Uh, is really key. And we try to like stay kind of hands off with our renters because we do want it to feel like um, a hospitality company and not like some people who live here part time and then move out when you go to rent it. Um, and we just try to make sure that if anything happens, really fast, quick service and just, you know, being personable and nice to them and checking in only one time, but not checking in too much with them and just trying to give them a really good experience and making them feel like they're in a vacation home and not just in some random house in some random city. And a lot of the cities that have historical short-term rentals, uh, there's management companies that I think are usury. They charge so much and they're looking for the owners that you know, just want a turnkey situation where as long as they're breaking even or making a little bit of profit, they're fine. And the majority of the profits go into the management company. We found finding the right people individually outside of management companies and managing it ourselves as you do is the most profitable way to do it, but you have to find the right people. What are some of the key things to look for when you have, you know, you got to have the cleaner that's going to show up every single time. You have to have your handy person. Uh, how do you deal with finding the right people? Because that can make all the difference in a short-term rental. We have a saying around here that we tell all our clients and it's, it's good. You're going to fire your first cleaner. It's, it's <laughs> going to happen. So um, it's a lot. There are, a, there's a lot of support and infrastructure in the markets that we're in because it's such a big industry. It's not like you're buying something in a suburb somewhere where you're having to train a housekeeper who's used to doing someone's primary home on how to turn a vacation rental. So most of them process-wise will you know, know what they're doing, but it's whoever's communication style and personality type fits the best with yours is gonna be the one that you end up keeping. So um, like I said, they're all gonna have a really similar process, but you want the ones that you can get along with, that you understand each other, that you're not having a lot of miscommunications and then maybe some pent up angst about each other. You know, you want the one that you can say like, Hey, you know, they said you missed this. Can you grab this really quick? And they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. No problem. You don't want them being like, Oh, well I cleaned that. 
that you're just saying I did. You know, you, you got to find the one that fits with your personality. And lastly, you know, you and I both have something in common beyond is that we've amplified our expertise utilizing books and podcasts um, and doing that to pour into our community more than uh, to make profit, which is really what I like. In fact, one of the unique things that I saw about your podcast is that uh, it's one of the top ranked podcasts in two areas that I wasn't quite sure. Instead of being a top real estate podcast, it's actually one of the top education podcasts in the world, as well as a self-improvement podcast um, and very highly ranked in the self-improvement space, uh, which is area, you know, I work in a lot. Why do you think it ranks so high in this, the self-improvement side of things? How does uh, the short-term show really help us in self-improvement beyond just real estate and business? We talk a lot about mindset and what it takes to be successful because, you know, I was just a $37,000 employee and there are a lot of other people who have been successful that were in the same boat. So we talk a lot about limiting beliefs and how to overcome those so that you can be successful. Because I know when I started being a real estate investor, sounded like something those rich people way over there that I'll never know who or how they managed to do it were doing. But no, any anything you aspire to, that can be you too. And it's really about your mindset and how you what steps you can take, small little steps, one at a time to get to the place that you're trying to go. And, you know, it's difficult for people who are in that position, $37,000 a year job, probably grew up in an energetic and genetic inheritance of, hey, this is your place in life and be happy with what you have and all the things that I grew up in Akron, Ohio, hearing from my single mom with six kids. Um, but there were certain things that I read and certain things that I was exposed to. There wasn't podcasts back then. I'm old, I'm not young like you. Uh, and so I encourage everyone to listen to uh, the short-term show, not only for pragmatic real estate advice, but to change your life, uh, to plant seeds under trees that you know maybe you may never, or I may never even live under, uh, but still you have quite an impact with the reach that you have with your podcast. What are some of the things that you read or listened to that, really gave you a distinguished mindset that created this limitless, frictionless life uh, that you now have achieved when most of the people that you were surrounded with probably laughed at you, scoffed at you, and made fun of you when you talked about being a real estate mogul? Um, I never talked about it because I was like, this is such a weird thing to be happening. Like I <laughs> wanted to be, I wanted to be a guitar player. I, you know, I wanted to play guitar for Alice Cooper. And then now I'm <laughs> successful in real estate. Like nobody says, Oh, I want to be a real estate agent or a real estate investor when I grow up. So it wasn't anything I ever talked about. It was because I was like, people aren't even going to believe this. You know, all these people knew me when I was a bartender, they're not going to take me seriously. So it was just kind of something that people kind of started just finding out about. And um, things that I read along the way, uh, definitely traction by Gino Wickman and, uh, pumpkin plan by Mike McCallowicz. So he wrote profit first, and it's a little bit lesser known of his books, but, uh, it's a book about, um, cutting the, the small pumpkins off the vine. So, you know, just focusing on your big pumpkins, on the things that are making you most successful and cutting off all the little things that are holding you back, or maybe that you think you have to do, you think you have to take on, but actually if you just focused on your big ones and not your little ones, you would go further. So that one was really like a turning point for me was that one. Pumpkins. Great. The legs feed the lion, as I always say. And uh, the objective is long-term wealth and the vehicle is short-term rentals. We have an expert with us, a mindset, heart set, and hand set 
expert that's willing to pour into her community. Check out her book, uh, as we talked about, The Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And of course, one of my favorite self-improvement podcasts, The Short-Term Show. Great nuggets every single show. So I encourage you to listen there. Avery Carl, an incredible entrepreneur living the American dream. Thank you so much for joining me.